Hello, everyone. Welcome to Beyond Sunday at Bethlehem, a podcast created to go beyond the Sunday service experience at Bethlehem Church, exploring some of the deeper questions of our faith, offering additional content from behind the scenes from the cutting room floor. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Angela Buckland, and as always, I am beyond excited to host today's episode. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Beyond Sunday. Today, we have a real special treat for you. Not only is Pastor Jason in the podcast studio with us today for the third time, third episode in a row, we are also joined by Pastor Ryan Britt. You might notice a similarity in those names. Yes, they're related. That's uh, Pastor Jason's brother. We recently had Pastor Ryan join us at our 316 campus, and he taught our services over the weekend, and it was such a treat. He's the executive pastor at the Church of 1122 in Jacksonville, Florida, and we always love hearing from him. So today, I'm actually not leading this podcast episode. Pastor Kevin stepped in, and he did a great job, and he is interviewing Pastor Jason and Pastor Ryan talking about their brotherhood, their their ministry adventures, the call to ministry, the family legacy. Pastor Kevin grew up with these guys, has known them a long time, and knew their dad. So such a special treat to have these guys all on the podcast together. So we hope you enjoy it. Hey, everybody. Thanks for being here and listening to the Beyond Sunday podcast. My name is Kevin Miller. I'm one of the pastors at Bethlehem Church. Standing in for uh, Angela Buckland today. Um, I know you heard from her earlier. I've got a couple special guests here with us today. We have our lead pastor, Jason Britt. He's our lead pastor at Bethlehem Church. Thanks, Kev. And we also have the executive pastor from church at 1122. Of 1122. My bad. I already messed it up. My church man. of 1122. Those, those prepositions are important. Uh, pastor Ryan Britt. What's fun about this today yes. is that Jason Britt and Ryan Britt are actually related. We are. <laughs> they are brothers. And so today I thought it'd be fun if we talk a little bit about uh, legacy. Yeah. Talk a little bit about your family. Um, you guys are f- more than welcome to tell any any dirty secrets you need to air out on a podcast today. We would love to hear them. Absolutely. Um, but let's let's before we get to that stuff, I, seriously, uh, your dad was a pastor. He was one of my pastors growing up. Um, incredible man. I just know, I think about his, his integrity. I remember Bible studies that I heard from him where he talked about his time with God. Um, I knew your mom. Mm-hmm. I, I watched their marriage. I watched them serve together. Um, and what's intriguing to me is both of you became pastors. So just to start out, what is one thing that inspired you from watching your father in ministry? What did he model for you? F- faithfulness would be the first thing that jumps out. I mean, he just walked faithfully. And you mentioned the times that he had with God. I mean, countless mornings, I remember walking by his study. Green chair. Yeah, he'd sit in a green chair with huh. this lamp that had these tassels hanging off of it. And and um, he, he'd be sitting there studying God's Word, you know, every day. And, uh, and if it wasn't sitting in the chair, he was kneeling in the chair praying. And uh, I remember him telling me he got saved when he was 18 years old at a Methodist church in Pecula. Pecula. Yeah, um, really. And the day after he got saved, he started reading his Bible, and he never missed a day until the day that he passed. Even I, when he was sick in his last years, he would listen to it video, via uh, audio or CD or something. And um, so he just loved the Word, and he walked faithfully with God, and, and uh, he did it right for sure, faithfulness for sure. When you say that, that he never missed a day, like I can remember being in high school, 
at a at a retreat and him teaching on how to study the Bible in that quiet time, his daily time with God, and him saying the same thing and me going, ah, but then to hear you say that, just that's that's powerful. For sure. Yeah, he I mean, didn't miss a day. Yeah, Ryan, we would come down the stairs and he would be there. And one thing that I learned is uh, he left out his prayer journal on purpose. I remember sometimes I'd sit in the chair and think I'm reading something I shouldn't. But now I look back as a dad and go, <laughs> nah, you know what he's doing. He's leaving it out, you know. And he had the prayer journal could be just a notepad. I mean, there wasn't anything, you know, now we have our fancy leather-bound journals. This is old school. But he'd, he'd write his prayers out. Uh, and it was that was very helpful for me when I really struggled and I felt like I, I knew the word, but I felt like I, I struggled, uh, to break through in prayer and really my dad's model of I'm a, I'm a ADHD. My mind will be all over the place. And so sometimes journaling helps me focus. It helps me lay my heart before the Lord. And I remember my dad's example of that would be something that I was like, it's okay if I don't, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, if I, do people pray in different ways? And so my dad's example of that was a big deal. So faithfulness. And my dad was, he was, uh, he was, he was who he was. He was comfortable in his own skin. So yeah. if anything, Ryan and I, um, if God has shown us favor, it is a lot of that comes from, he was very comfortable. In, we were never uncomfortable in our own skin. And that was just my dad. My dad, Kevin, you knew him. He, he wasn't the flashiest. No, nope. uh, he wasn't the most charismatic. Um, he wasn't probably the most highly educated of everybody. Uh, he wasn't the most eloquent. He was all of those things, but not the most. That was not what made him stood out, if you will. Yeah. Uh, but he was super comfortable with who he was. He was N- the same everywhere. Everywhere. It didn't matter. My dad, my, my parents knew your mom and dad too. Yeah. And my dad is a pra- practical jokester for sure and played a lot of jokes on Billy. And it, and he played a lot of jokes on my dad, but he was always the same. Like uh-huh. there was always a certain level of integrity and yeah, never, never changed. Um, so if, can I go back to the journal thing for, yeah. did you get to read some of your dad's journal? It's funny you bring, bring it up because depending on which son you were, that's how that would determine how that journal read. Yeah. And and so, so for Jason, the journal would <laughs> read a lot of, like a lot of proud. Yeah. Yeah. God, thank you for Jason. <laughs> thank you for his call. Thank you for what a great example he is. When it came to me, it would read the other way. It was like, God, please help me with Ryan. Uh, if if you could just keep him out of prison, this would, we would just. So it was a very different experience based yeah. on which son you were. For and sure. I do think the context of Ryan and I's story helps our mom. My mom uh, died when I was 16. He was 14. Uh, and so she had cancer for two years. So a lot of our story is marred in pain. Can we, can we go there for a few minutes? Cause I would like to hear, um, I I would like to hear the, you find out that your mom has cancer. Um, you're, you've been, you've grown up in the church. You're running around the hallways. Church is your second home for both of you. And then you find this news out, like walk me through emotionally what's and spiritually what's going on. Yeah. I mean, it's probably a little different for Ryan and I, cause the age we were. You know, there wasn't a full comprehension. The word cancer wasn't as thrown around or as known as it is now. So obviously we knew it wasn't good. How old were you Um, when you found out? 14. And how old were you? 12. 12, okay. And so it was the end of a spring break. Kevin, I think I'd been with you. You were a youth pastor at the time or intern, and you brought me home. And, you know, there was it was like I knew it was a big deal, but there was a simple childlike faith. That was, it's all going to be okay. You know, God, I've been told God heals. 
we're going to pray and medicine's going to do what works and or God's going to heal. And so there was a simpleness at the time, knowing that it was big, but you know, I don't, I don't think I at 14 comprehended the, like the gravity and we didn't know the type of cancer. We were young. We right. know the type. We didn't comprehend the severity, you know, and obviously 30 years later, almost now we've come so far in cancer diagnosis and cancer treatment and stuff like that. So yeah. it's different. I don't know. What would you say when we first found out? Yeah, we, I remember I was at my friend's, uh, Brandon's house playing Sega Genesis and my aunt and uncle showed up at the, at the house and, um, it was late. I was supposed to spend the night there and they showed up unexpectedly and they were like, Hey, we need to bring you home. And I was like, okay. So I got in the car and it was real quiet. And, um, we pulled down our driveway, the, where we lived, our driveway was, I don't know, a quarter mile long. It was a, a long old dirt country, dri- old dirt, country yeah. dr- driveway. And there were cars. I remember all over the driveway and I thought, man, we're having a party or something. Yeah. Nobody told me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we walked in, it was anything, but obviously there's yeah. the pe- people who loved our family surrounding. And I remember we sat down in the, the sitting room and in the house and that's when they told us that mom had cancer and uh, you could tell dad was real shaken and, and everybody was scared, you know, but it was that very much of, I very clearly remember uh, dad saying, you know, we're, we're going to have faith that God's going to do what only God can do. And we're going to walk this out. And um, that's what we tried to do. You know, sure. that, that's we could talk for hours just on those, those two years for sure. sure. But the, um, I don't have much of a memory before before that, hmm. you know. I have a few childhood memories, yeah. but that that those events were so sure. My whole life has been defined through yeah. what happened between the ages of twelve and fifteen, sure. without question. Yeah, that's and major trauma. Yeah, serious. it was super trauma, and yeah. we didn't have back. And, then, and we did it in the spotlight of a church. Uh, yeah, we I did. watched you. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and so, and I don't think you know you didn't realize it at the time. I know, like I know now with my sons. Uh, Ryan's daughter's a little younger, but Carson, like my son, I was my son's age when my mom died. And so it's pretty mess with your head now. I've outlived my mom. Ryan's about to. Yeah. Uh, so I've outlived my mom at 44. Um, and so super, super traumatic, you know, and the Lord was faithful through it. I don't think either one of us understood the full trauma until uh, you see things later in life that you're like, okay. I was probably not healthy and I probably got through some things, you know, um, but the Lord's faithful. I think, I think for us, for me and Ryan, I don't know about you, but for me, like when I talk about, I always, I've I've said this on a Sunday morning, people fall off the log. People who walk with God fall off the log. They read the Bible or they pray really well, but but like they feel like they had, they, they, their strength is praying or, and they really struggle reading the word or they feel like reading the word is their strength and they struggle. I've always been to know the word. I have to fight to pray and like be a prayer warrior. And I look back at it. It took me a while to realize the time that I most prayed and was told that God answers prayer, the thing that I most needed didn't happen. Yeah. And so that, that, that messes with you. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and you didn't, it took me, uh, for me, it took me to my, you know, Ryan and I served at 12 stone for a season together. It took me to my 12 stone years till I realized that, till I realized that, uh, that there were some things that, that I had to wrestle down. That was trauma. I don't know about you from that experience. For sure. Uh, You know, back then words like 
counseling and Christian counseling. They weren't a thing. No, nobody talked about that. And and um, depression, psychi- anxiety, yeah, none of that. Psychiatrist was, was this like kind of negative term out there for the the upper elite folks that yes. you know what I mean. And so for people who have real issues. I would say we were. I didn't. I could. You know. I, I didn't really deal with any grief honestly until i had my first child was born yeah i was 30 years old before i ever grieved the passing of my mother when i was 14. and so i would say our family walked as faithful as we could and we were loved really really well sure. like the church that we all grew up in were a part of they did surround us and yeah these were like mil, mil trains before mill trains i remember food upon food upon love and all of our ball games and sure. we're surrounded with people who loved us and were trying to help our family um, but nobody had the tools in the tool bag to sit down with us. Nobody, including my dad, had the tools in the tool bag to sit down with us to say, this is what grief is. These are emotionally healthy ways to think about it. You know, and so you're a teenager and you're dealing with this trauma. And while you hear the words like, have faith, have faith, have faith, you're like, just like what Jason said, it's like, man, I'm praying and I'm trying here, <laughs> but th- this thing ain't shaking out the way that, it, and I, this thing ain't shaking out the way that I'm praying. You know what I mean? And so it, for me, it was, I was very, very disillusioned on the back yeah. end of that. Very so I, disillusioned. I think, yeah. Ask your next question. Well, I, I just, I'm, it up. I, I don't know, may, maybe not, but I, I'm curious, how old were you when you surrendered your life to Christ? I was late middle school. So I was, this was right before, like when I really understood the gospel was our seventh or eighth grade year right there. So before uh, your mom. Was, yeah. Before mom passed. Okay. For me, it was after. It was after, um, okay. You know, in the, in the tradition we all grew up in, mm-hmm. I prayed the sinner's prayer, I say in quotation <laughs> yeah. marks. Yeah. I prayed it a thousand times because I sure didn't want to go to hell. Yeah. Um, and, but, you know, and I, I even was baptized when I was young on the back end of a starlight crusade when I was yep. a kid. And, but I didn't really surrender my life to Jesus until I was about 16 years old. And it was a year and a half or so after my mom died. And that year and a half is where I made a real run at disillusionment. You know, this is where I, so it's funny. I was like the kid in the youth group because I was my dad's son. All the parent, all my friend's parents, would, all my friends would be like, hey, we're going to go to a party. And all my friend's parents would be like, well, who's going to be there? And if they said I was going to be there, then everybody would let their kids go because they'd be like a brit's going to be there how bad could it be yeah but i'm like drinking and smoking them under the table you know you know what i mean and and i'm playing the youth group game on the other side and so i had that kind of like rebellious church kid pastor kid run great greatest trouble he ever got in is when i busted him one night and i'm yelling at him (laughs) in his room and i the the, luke 15 is understand ryan and i i was the religious performer he was the rebellious heck with the world yeah i performed so you're, you're Luke 15, prodigal son. Luke 15, sons, prodigal or? son. I was the older brother that I've done everything right. Mm-hmm. What are you talking about? He was the rebellious brother. It's like, I'm going to the far country. Peace, I'm out. <laughs> and yeah. then, you know what I mean? So that that's really our story. Post my mother. Yeah. Neither one. I got religious. He got rebellious. Both of us were lost. In our, in our, and by lost, I mean lost in the grief I handle grief by going, look how great I am. He handled grief by going, hey, man, heck with this. Is that yeah. pretty fair? I just couldn't get out fast enough. Yeah. I, when I was 17, I left Tequila, and I never turned back. Yeah. I left Hebron, and I never turned back. And that's not a shot at anybody or anything. Yeah. No. Um, I just could not. I just couldn't get out fast enough because I was, even 
when I surrendered my life to Jesus, I mean, I was at, I remember being at a party with all my friends and we're doing all the things. And a friend of mine who actually attends y'all's church here now, she called me or she had texted or paged me. We had pagers back then, paged me. And um, Come on, she, just, she just offered an encouragement to me like, hey, I just want you to know I'm praying for you and, and that God has a plan for your life. And God used that for her to like convict me. And I left the party and, and went home and surrendered my life to Jesus in my bedroom. You know what I mean? Because I was like, I'm I'm hurt, I'm mad, I'm angry, I'm confused. But at the end of the I, because of my dad's influence, because of the wisdom that had been around me for years, I knew the road I was walking was only heading toward a disaster. And so it was like, Lord, I'm I'm gonna I'm just gonna here's my life and I'm gonna do my best to follow you and surrender my life to you. So but even through all the grief, um, but then I just kind of put my head down on the like, um, you know, ministry and effectiveness and some of that stuff and still didn't really work through the grief, but it's all a part of the process for sure. Yeah. Yeah. For you that when you were 17 to how else? Yeah. 16, 16, 17. Yeah. Um, that's a moment that God, he was already working, but, but it clicked for you. For sure. Um, and, even, I would count that as my salvation moment. Even through sure. going through all that grief and still going through it and still working through it, that's that's where it came about. Your journey was a little bit different, I'm assuming, Jason. Yeah. Um, that you were already had placed your faith in Jesus, um, and I I know Ryan yeah. based on the the where we grew up, the assumption you had for quite a while probably was, hey, I'm okay. Yeah. Um, but but learned later that that wasn't the case. Um. For Jason, though, you were a tent, like you, you stayed with it, like, yeah, and and I think there was just some unhealthy, yes, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But I am, you know, by nature, I'm a performer, by nature, uh, Enneagram three, you know what I mean. And so it's like when it's healthy, I can lead people. When it's unhealthy, I operate out of fear. And so unhealthy means the fear of letting other people down, the fear of people's approval. The fear and, and it took me. I really began realizing I had some wounds in prayer. My wife's a prayer warrior, and uh, that when I served at Twelve Stone, they had a different prayer culture than I'd ever been around. And so that was big for me to realize. Wait a second, maybe maybe there's some woundedness here. You, mm-hmm. uh, there's an old line I use: "You don't know what you don't know until you until you know." All right. You know, and so I didn't know that I was wounded, and I had to go back and do that work. But really, here. When I started being a senior pastor and things started going well, succeeding approval, and people started noticing me, succeeding approval, and I was still empty, I my, my began to struggle with anxiety. And I realized that, that it was anxiety, which wasn't clinical by diagnosis, but it was a gift of God that sounds really counterintuitive to go, hey, man, you're functioning out of a place that's not healthy. And so for me, it was the performing, the running. For, and a lot of that was just learning that I had learned to perform, that everything's okay. The gospel's enough. Look how great it is. And there was really an unhealthiness in that instead of wholeness. And God had to take me through a recentering. And, and uh, so much of that came out going back to how did you get through your grief? If Ryan rebelled, I performed like everything was okay. Right. I put on a face and I acted the part. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I, you know, I never got, I, I, I never got mad. I just didn't give myself time or a place to grieve 
And so that was the deal. So it, it, if Ryan distracted himself, again, kind of what he's saying, I distracted myself through good works and doing the right thing and thinking that this healing, this pain that I dealt with or this trauma that I felt, if I get enough people's approval, if I get enough acceptance, if I succeed enough, that'll go away. The hope was that it would go away. Yeah. It yeah. just would bury itself. And I'm so was there counseling involved in all this process for you? Uh, for me, there was counseling here when I got here when and you things got started here. really going good. And, and, and I was just miserable inside. That stuff started yeah, searching I, up. Oh yeah. 20 started years to, later, counselors got involved. For you years. too? Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I, I never saw a counselor until I was 30. Oh yeah. Uh, I was Me 30, too. 32 years old. 35 when I, I was pastor here. Yeah. So 35, almost, 36. Almost 20 years. Yeah. And I grew up in the same, same place, same church, same atmosphere, same time, same city. Um, and you're right, that whole idea of getting help and counseling and emotional health, all that stuff, no, we just didn't know. We didn't have, nobody had the tools to help, sure. help us deal with that. And so the reason I asked that question is I'm assuming you would encourage people that are struggling with that to go find some help. We've got a lot of resources now that, that honestly we didn't have back during that time. Uh, yeah, for I sure. think there's permission now. You know, I think there's awareness and there's permission. So both of us would say, I know 1122. Uh, has a tremendous counseling, you know, resources, and we are ever growing in that. Yeah, more demand than we have. Oh yeah, uh, right now. So yeah, it's just healthy and it's it's there and and people need it. So yeah, guys, I, the thing on. I realized about G, G, the invitation of Jesus, you know, probably six or seven years ago, is that what Jesus ignited on the earth was actually is actually obviously it's a supernatural eternal revolution. But on the earth, as kingdom as kingdom come on the earth, it's a mental and behavioral health revolution. And it really is like you can believe you could check all the boxes on the statement of faith. But until you deal with the wounds and the cuts and the um, the tendencies and the shadows that are growing from within that have been planted in you from your family history that have been planted in you from trauma. Until you get in there and invite the Holy Spirit to get down at the seed of those weeds and root that stuff out, bro, those weeds grow fast. Yeah. And and they can choke out the 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 abundant life of Jesus. And that's true for me, man. Sure. Like sure. if the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Well, I didn't feel nor really experience much of that at all because I was doing everything I could to just it's like trying to hold a, a really full um, beach ball under the water. You're just trying to keep that thing under the water. Yeah. You know, that's the way I felt like I was living my life is that I had all this angst and disillusionment and hurt and distrust. And and um, I had it all just oozing out everywhere. And and um, until I dealt with those, it just I could never really embrace sure. the abundant life. And that's where mental health and, and counselors and emotional health, they can ask you the right questions. They can guide you toward the right scriptures. And most of the time it comes down to forgiveness. It's like, where do you need to believe and really believe and receive God's forgiveness for you through Jesus? Yeah. And where do you need to offer that forgiveness to someone else? And um, having to like bring myself to the point of like, um, because that experience for me, losing my mom, nobody wanted that. It's not like my mom was looking for that. or, But my human experience was that I felt rejected. And I just, I just felt rejected by God. I felt rejected by 
and I felt, you know, I probably felt compared to a little bit with, with Jason. Right. And so I, I honestly, I actually felt rejected from our church. Like I had a tumultuous relationship with some of the staff there. Yeah. And so that was my like wound and come to find out that it's actually the enemy's favorite wound. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He loves the wound of rejection. And if, and it, because if, in my opinion, this is my opinion, it's his wound. What he's so mad about is that he can't have what he wants. And the way that manifests is in this like spirit of, of anti-God everything. It's just this like bleeding wound of rejection. And so he, when he sees the wound of rejection, especially in God's child, he'll use that thing to just like numb out effectiveness and power. And that was certainly my case. You know, I'm running a hundred miles an hour in ministry, working full-time in ministry, vocationally in ministry. I love Jesus. I believe all the things, but inside, like Jason said, I was just like, I was just in knots and filled with angst all the time. And so I would encourage anybody like, you know, if you hear those words and you're listening to this, you know, if you're running, if you're humming underneath the surface on nine and you're just doing everything you can not to lash out at your kids, not to lash out at your spouse, not to be frustrated all the time with everybody at work. Well, ma'am, that is, that is not the invitation of grace. Right. You know what I mean? You're not operating from a place of grace when you're operating that way. So God took me on a long, long, still, I think in a lot of ways, I'm still on a journey of healing. We probably all are. Because you described that whole picture of trying to push a beach ball into the water. That's exhausting. Mm -hmm. Um, But then to hear you describe this abundant life in Christ, um, and there's peace in that, and it's real. It's not something that we make up. It's there. It can, you can have it. Uh, So I think that's great. I just love the way you, you, you put that with the beach ball and the whole comparison there. But I realize you guys could have run based on what happened in your family, sure. even though you were around the church and, you know, church kids have a reputation. You guys were probably tearing stuff up. Um, sounds like Jason was fixing it and you were tearing it up. That's probably true. <clears throat> you could have run away. Um, and maybe you did for a little while. Um, but God called you into ministry. I, I would love to hear about, and it sounds like they're going to be pretty different. Tell me about your call to vocational ministry. Um. Yeah, mine, mine was probably late, early, I should say, when I say late, early high school years, uh, I felt a sense, fully understanding it would be after my mom passed. And, you know, it was more of, uh, there were things about my dad's job, I just thought, I don't want to do that. You know, I don't want to, I mean, chaplain, he was chaplain, it just sounded awful to me. Hospital visits after going through what my mom went through and us being in the hospital for a lot of, there were just things I'm like, no. So I kind of went like my senior year, Maybe teach, maybe coach. And I wasn't a great athlete. I just thought, well, I didn't know anything else in the Kula. <laughs> I wasn't that, you know, going to be a mathematician or, a, uh, it was like, maybe I'll teach, maybe I'll coach, maybe I'll, I don't know. Uh, and really it was the toward my end of my senior year and really my freshman year where the Lord forged it in me of ministry of just knowing this is the call. Uh, and, and one of the advices we give to people here when we talk about it is if you can do anything else and be happy. Do it. You should do it. Yeah. Right. If, you, if there's anything else you can do and find fulfillment, then it means you're not called. Calling's a very specific thing from God that you know I would be disobedient. And there's a lot of people who want to make a difference uh, for the kingdom, you know, but that which is should be all of us. And sometimes they they mess that up with calling. And so for me, it was a deep calling. Um, I think. At walking into the senior pastor role, and my brother's, he can tell you about his journey as executive pastor, what he's doing in 1122. But for me, the senior pastor role was something 
uh, because my dad really flourished in number two role, I think, and he struggled as a senior pastor, or he was in tougher church settings, I should say, as a senior pastor, but he flourished at Hebron as Larry's, back then they didn't have executive associate. Right. Um, and so I think in my mind, I just go, well, that's what I'm going to do. I'll just be a, a great associate. And I like leadership. I like strategy. I like thinking through those things. And my wife was the one that was like, and everybody kind of looked like, no, Jason's wired to be a senior pastor. I just never looked at it, never thought about it. And, and the Lord really in about a year's time in my early thirties, sure some things up. And, and that's really how I kind of walked into this role. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. What about you, Ryan? Yeah, I, I feel like now with hindsight, I feel like my life, our lives are, are we're living the answer to 10,000 prayed prayers. Sure. Which I've preached before. Yeah. My mom's yeah. prayers. And I remember one time my dad told me, this was after we were both in ministry. My dad told me that because he and my mom were high school sweethearts and they married in college. And uh, he told me that, that, they they used to pray together and they would pray that God would give them sons and that both of those sons would be pastors and forces for the kingdom of God. He told me that. And I thought, um, and I and I kind of was like, what? You know? And and I so in a lot of ways I feel like our lives are the manifestation of God's faithfulness to my dad hmm. and the prayers that he prayed. Um, I never had like this lightning strike moment called a ministry. I remember Part of this was because of who my dad was. Part of this was just probably a, a bit of who Jason uh, was. When I got saved and I, I really started following Jesus and trying to build a relationship with him, it wasn't, I mean, you know, five minutes later, somebody put a microphone in my hand. Right. And I started sharing testimonies and speaking at different youth events. And then you become the president of the FCA and, then all of a sudden it's like you know you're you're preaching the Bible and you're you're doing ministry and you see God bringing people to life through it and and you so I, for me it was just one step of faithfulness after another it was never like without question I'm called to be a senior pastor uh, I, I felt clearly in college that God was calling me to serve His wife for the rest of my life you know that that I just and I say calling, like sometimes we talk about calling as though it's like ethereal thing out there. Yeah. I felt purposed. I just felt God's purpose on my life that it was to be dedicated to the church. And um, luckily we had had, even in through all the hurt and heartache, we had had many men come along at different points in our life and invest in us and believe in us. And, and uh, I had great brothers in college that we all did it together. So, man, I just put my nose down and like, I was like, what's the most important thing? What's the people hear the gospel? And I just started doing that thing. And ever since then, like, I love Jesus's church more than I ever have. I'm wilder about all the things God's doing in and through the local church than I've ever been. And I've never had any regrets. And so I can't, to Jason's point about do if you could do anything and be happy, you should do it. I can't imagine my life sure. without being being in service to the bride of Jesus, you know, so... It's not an impressive story. It's just a story of one step after another. And, and I think, Kev, it's important to note, uh, I just think, and you may be asking this, I may be getting ahead here, but the Lord has shown us great favor, but the Lord has also walked us through great pain. Right. So I think that's always important. Uh, Sam Chan talks about in his book, Leadership Pain, and when he wrote it, I just thought, yeah, question of like leadership is not, the question of leadership is how much can you endure? 
end of the day, like like in ministry and like when you go, you know, eleven twenty two, they get a bunch of campuses, baptized eleven hundred people back in May on a, a beach baptism, you know, one of the fastest growing churches in the country, Ryan's getting to be a part of, and he's been there since the early days. Here, our story, all that's going on here. It's been, and we're both very blessed and favored. And we both would say we would not be where we are if we hadn't walked through great pain. Because you just, for us, it was, it's a very, uh, what matters in life? Is God faithful? What's important? You know what I mean? There's just something the Lord builds in you that only pain can build in you. Only pain. Uh, And and that's not, that doesn't, people like they, we don't like thinking pain and suffering. I think there's just that there's a something hard built. Like I'm watching my son play high school football, and like when all of his friends are still out uh, having a good time in the summer, they're sweating it out. And I know in my head there's something hard builds in a young man. You know what I mean? On a different level in the kingdom, there's something hard that is is how God builds people He uses. Yeah, we think it's gift and strength. And I think it's enduring hard. <laughs> the giftedness in those guys who are strong and gifted, uber talented. Be careful. A lot of those, not to name names, right? I can tell you stories. Uber talented people who flash and go. Yeah. Uh, yes, there's gifted. Yes, there's talented. But there's can you endure hardship? Can you endure? You know, I don't know. Would you agree with that, Ryan? For sure. I think I don't think the pain earns you favor. I think. No. Prepares you, but it prepares you yeah. for it. It prepares you for the seasons that God's got ahead. You know, it's Romans eight twenty eight that God works all things together for the sure. good of those who love Him and called according to His purpose. We love that God works all things together for those who love Him, and then it's the and and called according to His purpose, right? And God is forcefully advancing His purposes on the earth, and a lot of that is through the pain of living in a broken world right. and how he prepares us through those pains and through those, yeah, those seasons. And so I think that's for sure. The Sam Chan quote is that um, you, no one can grow beyond the threshold of their pain. Yeah, that's it, threshold of pain. And that's true for an organization. That's true for a, a leader. That's true for an individual. That a lot of times you'll see people, what stunts their spiritual and emotional growth is pain. 100%. And they just can't get past it. Like no matter how much they say they love Jesus, they can't get past this point in their life well, because of the pain. So it's it's God's given us an incredibly high tolerance, and I'm not by, by any means am I trying to be prophetic and say asking for more. I'm not. <laughs> Please. I'm just saying that He's given us an incredibly high tolerance for pain, and that has been a, a it's it's allowed for us to have broad shoulders in the things that God's chosen to sure. trust us with. And and I think stunt. The other thing I would say is like church, churches get stunted because when things get hard, they're like ah. Uh, you know what I mean? And so it's fun at Bethlehem right now. A lot of people are going, boy, we're seeing a lot of people say that. But there's a hard that we're in. There's yeah. a hard that Ryan's For in sure. at 1122. Like it's like yeah. you choose your hard. The, I did the whole thing. The stress and momentum is better than the stress and no momentum. You know, and so you choose your hard as far as for our staff. And I think that's the sometimes we get stunted because we don't want to endure the hard. Yeah. We don't want to endure the, this is, yeah, this is hard. It's different. We're doing four times a weekend. We're building. Nobody has office space. We're out of everything. Ryan and them uh, are in over their skis on some things, and I'm sure he would go, this this is hard on some things. It's what you feel like. But, you know, is that not the enduring and trusting God and God building something in you? Because a lot of times we like to keep it in our comfort zone. 
Yeah. Yeah. So like keep it. Well, comfort. that flash looks good. Like when we talk about that stage, that looks good for, cause and we believe God is still calling people Oh yeah. to vocational ministry. So you've spoken a lot to those people. Is there anything else you would say to someone who senses a call to vocational ministry that's listening right now? I would say, put your yes on the table. Yeah. We live in a world right now, especially if you listen to like ministry podcasts and you go to ministry conferences, everything's like boundaries and in a good way, we may have swung too far on the like emotional health and mental health side of things. And it's like, protect yourself. And I'll serve the church if this fits. Practice your Sabbath and all these things. It's like, those are good things. But ultimately, especially somebody young in ministry, put your yes on the table and get busy. Yeah. Get after it. Like, you know, the, the any opportunity that you get to serve others in Jesus' name, you should take it. 100%. You should take it. And uh, just so, just put your yes on the table and um, you're entitled to nothing. You're entitled to nothing. So you don't get to pick and choose where God's going to use you. You don't get to, you just go. I can't count the number of hours. And you know this, I mean, doing all the camps and all the retreats when you're at college age, Kevin and Jason, the same, bro, we would drive six, seven, 10 hours <laughs> to get paid to lead worship, bucks. to preach, to 30 students who weren't listening and they'd give you a, a two pieces of pizza out of a Papa John's box and a gas card and be like, thank you so much. And before you leave, can you help us take the chairs? Down? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And that's how we came up doing it. You yeah. know what I mean? And, and, um, and so, but even then I never left that disillusioned. I just was like that, that was the next opportunity to serve. I'm just going to do the next thing and then do the next thing. So yeah. Man, just say yes and lead with yes, not with no. If you lead with no, you're just, it's not, you're probably not called, but lead with yes, you know? Yeah. But yeah. A hundred percent. I wouldn't say it any better than that. So, uh, tell me, we're going to, we're going to wrap things up here in just a second, but I want to hear, what do you see in Ryan? What makes Ryan such a good leader and pastor? Well, he looks like me. That'd be first. And Amen. <laughs> Yes, he the does. Brit, he you know what I mean? A little bit of no, man, Ryan's super smart. Uh, Ryan has a – he is tough as nails, and I mean that in, the, in like a refined toughness. Early on, it was be tough as nails, don't cross him. Now <laughs> it's uh, – he, he can, Ryan can endure a lot of complexity and come out on the other side. And he's – I mean, he is he, – he actually – his IQ level in ministry is higher than mine. Um, it, when it comes to just being able to take some big, huge, lofty things and reduce it. And so I think when I look at Ryan, I think uh, the Lord's gifted him to serve the church in a very unique way. And a lot of it has to do with uh, his, his being willing to lead, not being the centerpiece. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have to be on stage, and he understands the huge influence he has uh, and so I think that's been a big piece. Ryan's humility is, and even Ryan, uh, the pastor at eleven twenty-two, Job is fast, awesome dude, great communicator. Uh, and so even when you have to step in and not be the guy, but to preach and do it well and be okay, knowing I did my best, but I'm still not the guy, and and knowing that the complexity of that, Ryan steps into it really well. Yeah. He's comfortable with who he is. But I just think Ryan's giftedness is he doesn't have to be the centerpiece, but he doesn't see his influence any less. And so I, I've always been in any situation, any, he, he can walk in any room and he knows. Uh, he knows. I mean, a lot of what we're in the middle of right now, 
uh, is me calling Ryan going, hey, let me ask you this <laughs> on, on this generosity initiative. Because they've been there. They, they, they were ahead of us on that. And so, you know, he just he knows it. I trust him. And we don't agree on everything to the nth degree. 99 out of 100 things, 99% of the time, Ryan are on the same page. When we're not, it's just like, yeah, it doesn't really matter. So do what you want. You yeah. know what I mean? So he's just he, he's able to serve the church, uh, and he's very comfortable in his skin. And he walks with the Lord. He's a great father, great daughters. Our, 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 it's tough because both of us work on the weekends. Yeah. It's, it's hard, hard to, see, to see each other as much as we should or like. Because both of us, our jobs right now are in high demand. Our churches are are just super. So, but we, we we've grown up like that, so we have grace on that. But he's a great father, great husband. That's what I respect about him. Yeah. Thank you. What about you, Ryan? What do you see in your brother that's that's godly and that makes him a great pastor? Yeah, Jason is a gospel guy. You know, I think that um, even when we were in cultures. Uh, church, different church cultures where everything was leadership, 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 leadership. Jason's a great leader, a great thinker. Um, he's never met a stranger, um, you know. But at the end of the day, I remember even when he was in college, preaching in college Bible studies, it, it always came back to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It wasn't like the, you, you believe the resurrection and then you just kind of catapult on to, you know, good behavioral living yeah. like he always has come back to the life death resurrection of jesus and so i think that that always i've always admired that that it, it, he's so laser focused on the gospel um and and that the gospel is central to discipleship not the spring for discipleship but yep. that it is central to discipleship and so i think that, that he's led from that place i think it would like i don't know that bethlehem church Many of the folks here, I mean, I would say of the five or 6,000 that call 11, uh, I mean, Bethlehem home on the weekends, um, two or 300 of those may have been around in the early days in 2011 when you came on. Uh, yeah, there's, you know? there's 300 of us here and there's probably 200 of them left. Yeah, at the end of the, at the, end of the day, Jason had to risk big to step into obedience. And I've always admired that. And, and he would tell you he's probably not much of a risk taker. Um, but, but I think that's just fundamentally untrue in regards to how he's pursued God in his ministry. Um, and especially to, to, and through Bethlehem church. I mean, you're in your 30, your early thirties yep. and you step into this, this hundred year old church <laughs> and you got to lead it through transition. You got to lead it to healthier governance. You got to lead it. To, so, I mean, it's just a, a huge undertaking so the fortitude and perseverance that that he displayed there, um, and the same thing he said, man. Jason loves his wife. Yeah, man, he loves Nan. He loves the kids. Um, the, pro, pro, there's an image in my mind when Carson, his oldest, was born. Nan struggled a lot in sure. the in the labor. It was a long long labor. And it was really really hard, and um, I just remember when Carson was born and, and shortly after the first time he saw his son, I remember his image toward Carson is an image that I have in my mind and how God looks at us as his kids. Cause it's just like your, your whole demeanor and your whole face is different. You know what I mean? When mm -hmm. you see your child eyeball to eyeball for the first time. And so like that kind of like, but he's always operated from that love of like loving his kids and loving his wife. And those are the most important things. I think Jason has been very blessed and successful 
um, in ministry. I say that in quotations because success in ministry, you know, but God's blessed it and God's used him, but he's not impressed with himself. Like he's not, you know, he's not, he's not jasonbritt.com with some big press package out there trying to get more and more people to pay attention to him. He's got people knocking on the door saying, write a book. And he's like, in God's time, in God's time, in God's time. And so I think there's a real humility in that. Um, I would say that um, uh, I never felt this way really at all, but Jason clearly had a call to this area, Hmm. to like this geography and to this people. Um, and, and, and he has poured his life out to this point for the sake of the gospel in this community. And the average life expectancy of a minister in a, of a minister in a church right now is about three and a half years. So when you've got a pastor who stays somewhere for 10 years, for 15 years, for 20 years, and is committed to a people, man, that is only a work of grace and the obedience of a man to a call. And so I admire that a ton. Sure. Yeah, that he's just faithfully walking out that obedience. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you guys being on here with us. It's fun to listen to you talk about each other and encourage each other. And just from where I sit, knowing your mom and dad, um, I know they're proud. I know they were proud of you, um, and they should be. And it's it's an honor to serve God's kingdom with you guys. Um, both great leaders, both great pastors, and I know the best is yet to come. We yeah. believe that about about what God's doing in His church. And just honored to be a part of it. So thanks for being here with us today. Um, those and of you, Kev, we remember you, man. Uh, Back yeah. before you had gray hair, Kev yeah. Miller was like the guy you want to be, wasn't it, Ryan? No doubt, man. Well, I remember both of you guys when you did have hair. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, man. We better, we better yeah, stop no doubt. here. But hey, thanks for thanks for being here with us. Um, for those of you who are listening, thanks for joining us today. Um, it's great to have these guys on the podcast, and we will talk to you guys soon. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening. As always, we love our listeners and we love hearing from our listeners. So if you would like to reach out to us, if you have ideas for the podcast, want to reach out to us, email us at beyondsunday at bethlehemchurch.us. We love hearing from you. So feel free to email us. Um, Hope you enjoyed that episode. What a cool episode. Love hearing from those guys. Love those guys. They're good friends, great leaders, great pastors, and really fun having that family dynamic here. I hope you enjoyed what we captured here in the podcast studio on Beyond Sunday. As always, thanks for listening. We love you, and we will see you next time on Beyond Sunday.